Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Hi, uh, I got a call about my son, Ben. Oh, yes, Mr. Mason. He's in with the principal. He'll be out in a minute. This is it. My first serious teachable moment. A chance for me to impart the wisdom of my life to my son. If he thinks he can get into whatever he did at school and get away with it, no, sir. Not this dad. Look at him. Like a sponge. Ready to soak up all my life experiences. Maybe I'll tell him about the time we... No. No, he is not ready for that story yet. How did the TV dads do it? Like Mr. Tanner. Or Dunphy. Or the great Mr. Belding. Wait. He was the principal. Maybe he was a dad. Doesn't matter. This is going to be awesome. I'll start with a relatable story, then show how I thought I was cool by doing something wrong, and wrap it up by how bad it got and what I learned. Finally, bring it home with a scripture and a prayer. Dad, look at me now. I'm finally a father. And both Ben and I will remember this moment as the turning point in his life. And it begins in three, two. Mr. Mason, thanks for coming in. Ben is free to go now. You know, it was really great how he stood up for those other kids. He's not in trouble? (laughs) No, he's not in trouble. But my moment. You should be very proud of Ben. Great job, Dad. Take your Bibles out and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and we'll look at verse number 14. We're going to look at one of the kings today. He is not uh, Saul or David. He is actually the seventh king of the northern kingdom. What happens is, after the uh, fall of Solomon, the death of Solomon, uh, his son comes along, Rehoboam, and Jeroboam leads a revolt. And he winds up taking ten of the kingdoms and starts his own nation, and now they became more known as Israel and Judah, which comprised the two tribes in the south, Judah and Benjamin, became known as the tribe of Judah, or the kingdom of Judah was ruled ruled by the southern kings. The more wicked kings tended to be up in the north. They turned to idolatry quicker. They turned away from God quicker. And so that was the, they were the first group led into captivity by the Assyrians. And so we're going to look at a man by the name of Ahab and uh, what fathers, what men, what we can learn from this example. But I'm going to start by reading 1 Corinthians 4. Let's stand together. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 14 today. Hope you came hungry, ready for the word of God, ready to grow together. I am not writing this to shame you, but to warn you, As my dear children, even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became 
your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. I thank you, God, for your sweet presence here today. I thank you for the word that's going to teach us this morning. Open up our hearts to receive what you have. I thank you for every father, every daddy that's here, God. I pray you will richly, abundantly bless them, but I pray we will learn and grow from the strength of your word today and the strength of our fellowship, and we thank you for your sweet presence again. Help me, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, turn around, give someone a high five, and then you may be seated. Maybe a manly grunt somewhere along the way. Uh, hoorah. And uh, then you may be seated. My, my wife asked me what she could get me for Father's Day. And, and I told her, I said, you know what? Get me something that everyone can get something out of, being the kind of guy I am. And so she got me a wallet. That's, uh, that's just a joke, guys. But I, uh, I, I do want to tell you, men, sometimes, sometimes all that you feel you're good for is paying the bills. I'm, I'm just here to be the provider. I'm, I'm here to pay the bills and uh, take care of the finances, and that's kind of really all I am good for. But I want to tell you, your role is much more important than a guardian, Paul writes to the Corinthians, you've got many guardians. You've got a lot of people who are tutors, teachers, and guardians, but you have very few real spiritual fathers. And what I want to challenge the men here today is to rise to the occasion and be more than just a provider, more than just a, gar- a legal guardian, uh, but you are much, much more than that. You are a father. And what is entailed in being the father of the house? And so we're going to look at that today. You know, it takes no brains or talent to make a baby. I'm sorry, guys. It's not rocket science. Biology kicks in. It's just really, but the, real, the reality is simply this. One third of babies born today are illegitimate, raised, most of them will be raised without a father. And we're seeing the effects in society of fatherless homes and what is happening and what's taking place because we have many guardians, many legal guardians, but few real fathers. Paul differentiates between the guardians and fathers. I will tell you this, no agency, no influence, no tutor can ever replace a spiritual dad, a spiritual father. Caring for your family is more than just bringing home a paycheck. It involves giving spiritual direction, creating a loving atmosphere, and providing a purpose and vision for your family. And this is the challenge I want you to arise to today. And I'm going to challenge you in this direction Now, Hosea 8, 7 talks about Israel. He's writing to Israel, and he says, they sow to the wind, and they reap the whirlwind. They sow to the wind, and they reap the whirlwind. And what what we are seeing today in America is because homes are breaking apart. You know, the problems in America, we have terrorism around. The economy can be a problem. There are challenges throughout our land. But I believe the real problems all stem from the breakdown of the American family. It is broken today. It needs to be fixed. We have, we have too many families that are messed up, dysfunctional, and it perpetuates itself from generation to generation to generation. And we sow to the wind, and it's amplified as it goes from generation to generation. And now in America today, we are reaping the whirlwind of our idolatry, of our sin, our, of our iniquity, of our lasciviousness, of our actions. We are reaping that in our own 
families today, in our own homes today. American fathers have failed by being either physically or spiritually absent in the home. Let me say that again. We have failed our families in many cases because the father is either physically absent, not there, checked out, whatever the case may be, or spiritually absent. He's not the spiritual head of his family. And, and we're reaping the moral failure in America today. Fathers, I want to challenge you. Invest yourself in your kids uh, and release the blessing of being raised by a godly father and godly parents. And you will see the fruit of that go from generation to generation to generation. And your children will rise up and call you blessed. Now this morning I want to illustrate my message today from a man by the name of Ahab. Old Testament story about a father who failed miserably and left no legacy whatsoever. King Ahab is the seventh king of Israel uh, following the breakup of the kingdom that I described earlier after Solomon died. He began as a great king. He began as a very energetic hard-working king. He was a warrior king. He quickly led Israel to many uh, battles and many victories over the Syrians. He expanded the kingdom of Israel greater than it had ever been. Uh, he's probably one of the greater kings in, in terms of wealth, prominence, and prestige since King Solomon. And so the, the nation had been declining, and now Ahab is kind of in northern Israel is going to bring an uptick, and they're going to re regain their power once again. The problem is, unfortunately, his early successes made him greedy for more. He becomes very proud. He becomes very greedy about what he has done, and he makes many serious mistakes. And the first mistake he makes is marrying a lady by the name of Jezebel. Now, now, let me give you ladies some advice, parents some advice. When you're naming your kids, don't name her Jezebel. It's, it's not a great name to stick on your daughters. Jezebel. Ahab ruled 22 years, had sons and grandsons, and they totaled upwards to about 70 people at one time. And you think about the legacy he could have left. Seventy sons and grandsons. What kind of legacy could you have with that many grandchildren and sons and children and a generation following? What kind of generation could he have established in the nation of Israel that would have perpetuated itself from generation to generation to generation? It would have been amazing, but he leaves absolutely no legacy whatsoever. I want you to turn in your Bibles, and we're going to read this story, 2 Kings chapter 9. 2 Kings chapter 9, unfortunately history reveals there was not one worthwhile grandchild or son in the bunch of all 70. And, and so God is going to have to purge the nation and purge the land, and so he's going to raise up another king by the name of Jehu. And it says in verse 6 of first, uh, excuse me, 2 Kings chapter 9, 2 Kings chapter 9 verse 6, and Jehu got up. Went into the house, then the prophet poured the oil on Jehu's head and declared, This is what the Lord God of Israel says, I anoint you king over the Lord's people Israel. You're to destroy the house of Ahab, your master. Lost my place. There it is. And I will avenge the blood of your servants and the prophets and the blood of all the Lord's servants shed by Jezebel. The whole house of Ahab will perish. I will cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. Wow. I'm going to wipe them out. 
No legacy left behind. Now, why, why was Ahab such a failure? Why did he blow it so miserably? Well, well, first of all, I think he could have done a whole lot better in his mate selection. The choice of Jezebel quickly led him downhill as a king, as a ruler, as a leader. In fact, Jezebel becomes the defunct leader of the nation of Israel. She is the one. You've heard, you've heard the man say, I am the head of my house, and the wife will respond, but I'm the neck who turns the head. And so it is. Jezebel was the neck and the head and everything else in the nation of Israel and wanted her husband to have every want and desire. Outside of the decision to accept or reject Jesus Christ, men, let me tell you something, and ladies as well, the greatest decision you'll ever make is who you're going to marry. Don't buy into the lie that once I marry him, I'll straighten him out. Once I'll marry him, I'll get him saved. Once I'll marry him, we'll have a spiritual home and a spiritual household like we want to have. Ahab had no business choosing Jezebel for his wife. Now, the Bible tells us she's a beautiful lady, but she brings wealth, prestige, and power to Ahab's palace. And so it's, a, it's an arranged marriage. Her father was in Mam, a Sidonian by the name of Ithbal, which means they worshiped the god Baal which was an idolatrous God of the Sidonians. And so what he does by marrying outside of Israel, he brings all this idolatry into the palace. And pretty soon, all of the northern kingdom, Samaria being its capital, became not a center of God worship, but a center of idolatry. And they're worshiping these vile pagan gods. And Jezebel goes on a mission not only to set up idol worship in the palace in the northern kingdom, she also goes on a personal mission to kill every single prophet of God. And so she launches a bloodshed that's devastating throughout the kingdom. And so Ahab marries Jezebel. The first question you need to ask yourself is, is the person that I'm going to marry or be spend the rest of my life with, is she is a God-fearing woman or a God-fearing man? You need to marry a man or woman of God. Listen to me. It affects everything else you are going to do the rest of your life. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 warns us, Be not unequally yoked with together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath unrighteousness with, with, with right, hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? When men and women violate God's law, there is always a dreadful cost to pay. And I can tell you, listen to me, there are so many couples over the years who got married. They thought they'd straighten their man out. They thought they'd straighten their woman out only to come for counsel later down the road to say, there's no union between us. When two become one flesh, they become one body, mind, and spirit. Body, soul, and spirit. And when you lose that spiritual component of your oneness, there is something drastically missing in their marriage. And there are women who are crying out, if I only had a man of God, I only had a man of God who would take us to church, who would pray with the family, who would pray with my kids, who would, who, who would be the, the godly example and the godly husband he needs to be. And so many women by themselves are raising their kids spiritually. So, so important who you marry. Some claim, well, we'll settle the spiritual issue after we're married. Listen, I will tell you, that guy or that girl is on their best behavior before they're married. After they got you, there's no motivation to change. You won't change them later. 
If you don't get it squared up before the ceremony, it will never happen afterwards. And here's the problem. It's the next generation that pays the price. And so we perpetuate the sins of the father and the sins of the parents from one generation to the next to the next, and we need no legacy of a godly heritage for our kids. Children know when their parents are divided. They'll play one against the other. Now, they do that with two Christian parents. They'll go to mom and they say, I want this, and she'll say no, and then they'll go to daddy, or they'll go to the softest one first, and they'll play them off against each other to try to get their way. Kids are great manipulators. They learn very early. It's part of that uh, sinful nature. They know how to manipulate mom and dad, and, uh, and they do it early. They'll play one parent against them. But when you have parents that are unequally yoked, and they're both not believers, becomes very easy to, for, for one parent to say, you know what, we're going to pray together and we're going to read our Bible together and we're going to go to church together, but you have the unsaved spouse saying, lighten up, they're just kids, let them grow up and make up their own minds. And so we perpetuate this myth that somehow we need to give our kids a whole lot of moral freedom, a whole lot of spiritual freedom to make up their own decision and their own mind. It's like saying, I'm not going to send my child to church or, or to school because I want them to make up their own mind about their education. You wouldn't think about doing that. They'd come and arrest you. But we'll do it when it comes to spiritual things. And I will tell you, spiritual matters in the home are the very most important thing. More than reading, writing, arithmetic, more than playing soccer, football, or basketball, it is do they know Jesus? We got one chance with our kids. Do they know the Lord? And when there is that unequally yoking, and you have a house where King Ahab starts out in the right direction. He marries Jezebel. There's the unequal yoking going on. And the whole spiritual climate of the house changes. And idolatry comes in. And wickedness and debauchery comes. The most important realm is the spiritual realm. We give our children mixed singles, signals and they wonder growing up about what really matters. Be a godly example. Now, that leads to my second point. It's simply this. And let me just tell you this. One of the best examples you can be is to model what a godly marriage looks like before your kids. And when, when your kids see, when they learn from dad how to love their mother, they will also learn how to love their wives as well as Christ loved the church. When, when, your, when your daughters see how a father treats her mother, she will want to marry the very same kind of man as her daddy was because she saw that love in the home. And it goes from generation to generation. So of one, one of the great examples we can set for our children, fathers, and the next generation is show your children how to love their mother. Be a godly husband. Let it start right there. You want to talk about godly fatherhood, first be a wonderful godly husband, and that's the greatest example you can ever set and ever model for your children to follow. And that leads to the second point. It's simply this. Be a godly example before your kids. And I want to take you back to our text. Look at 1 Corinthians again, chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Look at verses 15 and 16 again. 
Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. But look at the next phrase. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Now, one of the differences between a guardian and a father is a father can say, a, a guardian says, do what I tell you to do because I tell you to do it. A teacher says, do what I tell you to do. I'm going to teach you how to do it. A father's different. A father says, don't just do what I tell you to do because I say it, but watch my life and imitate my life. Fatherhood is all about that godly, Christ-like example that goes beyond more verbal instruction. Can we say to our kids, men, listen to me, can you honestly say to your sons, follow me as I follow Christ? If we can't say that, we need to evaluate what we're doing in our life. What kind of an example, what kind of a model, what, kind of my, what am I doing that my kids will want to emulate and will want to follow? And so we evaluate our actions. Display God's righteousness in your household. And I will tell you, you say, well, what does that look like? You have everything you need in the word of God that will tell you how to be an incredible father. You want to learn how to be a great dad. This is the great, greatest book on fatherhood you'll ever find. There's a lot of them out there, but this is the greatest. Learn the word of God. We have everything in this book, everything in the word of God that pertains to life and godliness and virtue, and it tells us how to live our life. Fathers, First of all, you have the responsibility of knowing God and you will know God through the word of God and through prayer. And as men, listen to me, as you learn how to hear the voice of God, you learn how to follow the Lord, you learn how to spend time with him, you're growing in Christ Jesus. Then you can say to your kids, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul was a spiritual father because he set the example of what it means to know God. And you know them through the word, and you know them through prayer. Be men of prayer, men of the word. Keep your family in church. Lead them to worship. Don't just send them on their way, but lead them to worship. Show them how to worship when they're in church with you and praise the Lord and enter into his presence. It's so, so important. They learn how to worship God from dad. Be that spiritual leader, spiritual father. I'm so thankful for my dad. My dad, I had an incredible spiritual man of God for my father, and he left me just a wonderful legacy. First of all, he loved my mom, and he loved her. He took care of her. He waited on her. She was the pride and joy of his life. There was nothing he wouldn't do for my mom, and he showed. He, he never raised his voice. He was a very soft-spoken man and a very mild demeanor, uh, never would curse. I never heard him say a swear word or a cuss word, ever incredible he he uh he just that kind of example he would never talk bad about people never in front of the kids i don't know what he and mom talked about but never in front of the kids would he talk down or bad about somebody else and i remember at night every night he would come back we would read our bible together and then he would come and kneel by our sides in the bed and i have a picture that we still have that i hang on to of dad and me and Michael all kneeling by the bed and him praying with us every night. When I gave my heart to the Lord, he's the one who walked down to the altar with me and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Now, seven years ago, about seven years ago, two months ago, seven years and two months, he went to his reward. And, his, uh, and God was there saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. He was not a minister, not a pastor. He was an engineer, worked for General Electric, but a man who loved God with all of his heart. And he left that example for us. 
Man, be that godly example. And then third, train up your child. Give them godly training and godly instruction. Now listen to me. First of all, if, if you live the life in front of them, then they will listen to your teaching. If you try to give them godly training without the godly example, they will go, ah, well, that means nothing to me. So that's why I had point two before point three. You've got to live the life in front of them, but you also have a responsibility to teach them about the Lord and about the ways of God and the way they should go, and you should give them godly counsel and godly instruction. The first thing you need to do is make sure every one of your boys and girls know the Lord Jesus Christ. Sit down and talk with them. Sit down and pray with them. Show them how they can be saved. Pray with them right there in the house. Lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Above all else, do they know Christ? Most important thing, don't leave that for chance. Just don't wait for it to happen over time. It's the number one responsibility. In the Old Testament, the father was charged with the responsibility of transmitting their faith in God from one generation to the next. It was to go from generation to generation. Turn, if you would, to Psalms 78. Psalm 78, look at verses five and five to seven. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. Now, what's he saying? He says, part of the responsibility in Israel was for the fathers and mothers to teach their children the law of the Lord. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet born to them. So he's saying there's a generational thing. It starts with a godly father. It goes to the next generation who will teach the next generation and your grandchildren will know the Lord and your great-great-grandchildren and all the way down the line. And they in turn would tell their children. So now you've got three generations listed right here in Psalm 78. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds and would, not, and would keep his commands. Fathers, teach your children. Teach them the law of the Lord. Teach them the love of God. Teach them about who God is. Teach them they have a good, good father. Some of you guys are first-generation believers, and you didn't have that godly heritage. And God in his grace, wherever you were at, reached down to you and through a a Christian friend or a brother or someone praying for you, you gave your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and maybe the generation before you was messed up, but I will tell you, the generation after you does not have to be. You change it. You reverse the curse. You bring that blessing on your home and it it can start with you. From generation to generation to generation. Make sure they know the Lord. The New Testament puts it this way. Ephesians 6 and verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bringing them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. What a high and holy calling fathers have today. What a great privilege to lead our own kids to know the Lord Jesus Christ, to tell them, teach them how to hear the voice of God. Fathers, I believe as a spiritual head, you are to be the priest of your home. You fulfill the function of prophet, priest, and king in your family, in your home, ordained by God. Don't abdicate that responsibility to your wife. Now, I'm thankful that God is gracious. 
And even in homes, and ladies, if your husband is not serving the Lord today, even through you, they can be saved and come to know the Lord Jesus Christ because God is a God of grace. And you see that in Timothy's life through his mother Eunice and grandmother Lois, or I don't know which is the grandmother, but Lois and Eunice, somewhere along the line, they were able to share faith in God through the female. But I believe God's best plan is for a husband and wife working as a team, leading their kids, showing them the way, Praying with their family. You know, you look at Ahab's 70 grandchildren, children, and it's easy to feel sorry for the 70 sons and grandsons of Ahab because it wasn't entirely their fault. They just simply did what daddy did. They learned from him, and their lives became very morally bankrupt. But those sordid realities were not so much, I believe, the fault of Jezebel as much as they were the fault of Ahab. I want you to listen to me here. Jezebel was wicked. She was mean. She was, uh, she was a snake. But it, it was Jezebel uh, that brought that idolatry into Israel. But Ahab should have known better. Ahab should have guarded the garden. He should have guarded his house. He should have guarded his legacy. He is the one who once knew God. He had the benefit of some of the earth's greatest prophets to ever live. They came and they prophesied. Four different prophets prophesied to the nation of Israel. They gave warning after warning, but instead of hearing the warnings of the prophets, he ignored them and went his own way. He wanted material gain and power, and it cost him everything. It cost him his entire family. Look at the results of Ahab's sin. He dies on a chariot. He's in battle. He's struck by an arrow. It pierces his chest. He dies. Jezebel is going to be passed, uh, thrown out of a tower. Body lands on the ground in Samaria, and the dogs come and eat her corpse. The 70 sons and grandsons are mur- murdered by the people that Really, they were ordained to govern and lead because they were the next generation to follow. But they were all killed and they were all murdered. Their heads were chopped off. They were placed in a basket outside the city of Jezreel. The legacy Ahab left was absolutely nothing. He led Israel for 22 years. What did he have to show for his 22 years of rulership? A destroyed, completely demolished family. Fathers, I want to ask you a simple question. What kind of legacy are you leaving your sons and your daughters? What are we leaving behind for them? Have you faithfully and lovingly led your family in the way they should go? Fathers, you can never be the father God wants you to be until you first settle the sin issue in your own life. It starts with, do you know Jesus Christ? And here's the reality. Every single one of us are born with that sinful nature and we all sin and we all struggle with sin. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death and we earn death because of our sin. But he goes on to say, but the gift of God is everlasting life. 
And if you'll say, God, I need you. I can't be a father without your help. I can't be the husband I need to be without, my, without your help. I, I can't make it to heaven without your help. I need you to save me. I need you to forgive me. I need you to cleanse me. And if you pray a simple prayer like that, you know what happens? Jesus comes in and he makes you a brand new creature in Christ Jesus. And you can turn the entire legacy of your generation and the next generation and the next generation around. And it can start with you, but it's got to start with you saying, God, I need you. Be my Lord and be my Savior. If you'll pray a simple prayer like that, the Lord will come in. You can be the father your children want. You can be the husband your wife has always prayed for. But it starts with Calvary, and it starts with your acceptance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Give your life to the Lord today. It's too important. And now you're ready for that grand and noble calling called fatherhood, being a dad. And your children will rise up and one day call you blessed. And God will give you your children. You can give your children the most priceless gift and priceless possession they can ever know. And that's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything we ever need to know about being good fathers, we learn from our Heavenly Father. We sang about a good, good father. It's who you are. We serve a good, good daddy. Good, good father, father of mercy, father of grace, a father of provision, a father of love. We, we serve a good, good heavenly father. I learned about real love and real patience and provision and care. Everything I know about fatherhood, we learn from our heavenly father. If there's one place we don't want to be mediocre in life. It's the matter of being a husband and the matter of being a father. And so I have three questions do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he the Lord and Savior of your life? What are you leading and teaching your children? And what kind of legacy are you going to leave behind? Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.